Hello and welcome to Game & Watch, the show where we talk about games we've been gaming and movies and TV shows we have been watching. I'm Aaron. And I'm James. And today we're talking about Midsommar, the 2019 folk horror film written and directed by Ari Aster. Sorry, James, I know you wanted to do the new Haunted Mansion, um, but, you know, this week we're doing Midsommar. That's what I watched, so I'll have to just do this from memory. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Um, <laughs> tell me about your history. Why, with why not the Eddie Murphy Haunted Mansion? Why? No, because the new one is better. Is it? I've that's what I've heard. Oh, but you haven't seen it. No, I have not seen it. I thought you were a big haunted mansion head. You never had like a haunted mansion day where you you went and saw a haunted mansion and <laughs> rented it on DVD and then flew down to Disneyland and went on it over and over again. Um, can you stop putting ideas in my head? <laughs> Sorry, I won't threaten <laughs> you with a good time. <laughs> um, well, you know, I thought that we watched this movie together the first time, and I'm mistaken. I think I was just like uh superimposing Midsommar on the on the screen when what we really saw was Bo is afraid together. Oh, we yeah, we certainly saw Bo is afraid together. Also, um Ari Aster, afraid of strong women. Would you say <laughs> based on uh, Bo's afraid hereditary and midsummer? I would say so. And based on a little bit of the history of this movie, um, there's certainly uh, women in his life did influence this movie. So Unquest- you know, yeah, unquestionably, <laughs> unquestionably. Uh, it's a little um, would love to have him uh, psychoanalyzed. Yeah, and um, can we also mention that this is kind of a big full circle moment for uh, our podcast? It, it really is. Our very first episode was about Hereditary, which was uh, Ari Aster's uh, premiere uh, directorial debut. To be clear, our very first film that we did. Film, yes, correct. Yes, not our not Ari Aster's Super Mario Sunshine. <laughs> I mean, I would play that. There's my fan fiction right there. Oh man, you already got it. <laughs> I don't know what the, I don't know what that would look like at all, but I, I'd love to see it. Um, scary strong women would Princess Peach would be a sight to behold. I bet. Oh my gosh, yeah. Um, so yeah, I I've I've seen this movie probably about four or five times. I saw it in theaters when it first came out. I've seen the director's cut. Uh, I'll talk about that in a little bit. You and I have watched this movie together. Probably the most entertaining time I've ever had watching this was when we showed it to a room full of people. And were, were we the only people in the room who had seen it before? Yeah, and it was a room full of people that were not kind of film snobs. Not that we're snobs, but... <laughs> I thought you were going to say like, ready for this movie. <laughs> they were not ready. Yeah, they were not ready for it. Yeah, and it was very fun seeing their reactions. Yes. I, I don't think we traumatized anybody, though. Uh, if anything, one of our friends felt oddly invigorated by it, which was kind of disturbing. It was it was a little bit of a shock. <laughs> I think we would have pegged them as not going to have that reaction. No, but it was a delight. Yeah. How about what's your history? Uh, so I wanted to see this film based on the movie posters, uh, the poster of Danny kind of just screaming, wearing the white May Queen dress um, because I love daylight horror. This is a daylight horror film. And I hadn't seen Hereditary, Ari Aster's first film. So on the day that I bought tickets for Midsummer, that day I sat down and watched Hereditary first. And Hereditary by itself is a lot to take in. Sure is. So uh, I watched Hereditary and then left almost immediately to go to the theater to sit down and watch Midsummer. 
And then afterwards, everyone filed out of the theater completely in total silence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was a literal tour de force. Um, you had no time to digest I, hereditary. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't have the appropriate time to digest hereditary. I jumped straight into midsummer and boy, did Ari Aster leave quite the impression on me that day. Yeah, um, that was an Ari Aster filled day. It was. And I, you know, they've never let me go either of these films. Uh, I think this is probably maybe the like seventh or eighth time I've watched Midsummer, including the director's cut, uh, ah. which I have seen. And I, uh, I think I am ready to settle the debate in my own mind today. I will say that while I love them both, Hereditary is the superior film. Ah, you came around. I think you, you weren't around. you weren't there before. I was I was literally just about to throw a hereditary versus Midsommar corner at you. We can do that because my feelings have changed back and forth. But I think I finally settled that uh, while both are fantastic, hereditary does edge out Midsummer by a little bit. They are fantastic. And I would agree with that. And there are and I and it was funny, I've never really been able to articulate it as well until like this week when I was trying to search for the words for it, I was just having a conversation with the, with a friend about it and suddenly just kind of, it just kind of came to me and this is it. So Midsommar was a horror movie. The first time I watched it, it has never been a horror movie since it on rewatch. It is a dark drama with lots of tension. It is like a, it's an, a lesson in despair and, uncomfortability and hereditary the first and every other time is a horror movie in the most classic sense it gives me that rush gives me those d squirts it (laughs) gives me like what i crave from a horror movie it's got more of the tropes even though i would say that it's it's very much its own thing and i just i'm gonna pick hereditary because i like horror movies more or like pure horror movies. You know what I mean? Like Midsommar is not, I don't know. It just doesn't give me the same feeling on rewatch. And, but that said, they are both fantastic movies. Fantastic. I feel like hereditary has slightly more um, control than Midsommar. Uh, Midsommar kind of, not that it's like an out of control movie by any means, but I feel like Midsommar kind of shows more than it tells sometimes. Mm. um where which is what you want right but it kind of in horror you kind of want to like tell a little bit first and then show kind of at the end when things get crazy Mm -hmm. which is what hereditary does i feel like midsummer they kind of show you up front um kind of what you're going to be getting into a lot earlier uh in the film than a traditional horror movie would Mm. like in terms of the opening scene or like literally the imagery that you get shown I mean, all of it, right? And even when yeah. they get to the uh, the Horgas, um, like some frightening shit happens kind of off the bat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But at the same time, there's a little bit of a slow burn to it, right? Despite the how brutal the opening of this movie is, it's not brutal in a horror sense. And it kind of serves as part of the slow burn. And then yeah. when we get to like the, I don't know how to pronounce it, the cliff side scene. It's just, that's really... It's the burn leading up to that. And at that point, you're just kind of like waiting for something else to go wrong. Yeah. And then I don't know about you, but you watch that scene and boy, you get sexually aroused. <laughs> good, good <Lord. laughs> 
no, <laughs> I, can't, I can't say that I do. I cannot say that I do. But yeah, I mean, that's all that I wanted to say about Hereditary versus Midsommar. I don't want to I don't want to like put them we don't have to up against them. each other the entire yeah. time. They're both yeah, just fantastic. Yeah. And Arya Aster, we trust. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, we could kind of fly through the development of this movie. It, you know, they're originally Ari Aster was asked to make a slasher movie in Sweden. I don't know why whoever asked him that was asking it to be in Sweden. Maybe it's just yeah. Like, was this like an AMA on Reddit? Like, what does that mean? Someone uh, just asked him. No, well, I, it was. I, I don't know. I, or I, I actually think there's probably was somebody. This you know, this is kind of half-assed research that we do here in the oh, development you're corner. You're fine. <laughs> um. And he wasn't really thrilled with that idea. So he was going through a breakup at the time. <laughs> oh, my God. I know. Right. And so he decided to make it a breakup movie. Now, um, can Ari Aster make a movie for every major event in his life? Because I would watch them. I would, too. Was was Hereditary like the death of a family member that I, I don't even remember? I, I don't know. But boy, if it was. Yeah, right. So he did a bunch of research for Midsummer celebrations in Sweden, in English folklore, in, in Germany, did some research on spiritual communities. There is a lot of imagery and a lot of like visual uniqueness. And I, I think it's unique to me because I have no familiarity with this kind of thing at all with like Sweden in general, but also I have no experience with cults either. <laughs> or, um, or festivities. We, well, we should say up front that this is, something that's it, we, we're not going to be able to describe everything in this movie i mean there's there's a visual um uniqueness to this that i feel like i haven't seen anything like it also I, like um like a, a real richness like oh, a real yeah. dense visual density of um kind of beautiful things yes yes and we will not be able to do that justice we will not no. really attempt too much um but Speaking of visuals, the cinematographer is a usual Aster collaborator, Paul uh, Porgazelski. I don't know how to pronounce that. Apologies. It was shot ma mainly in Hungary, not Sweden. I don't know why. But I do know that everyone in the cast had complained about the heat. And it was extremely, extremely hot. There were like bugs were a big problem. And it kind of made filming difficult. And also because a lot of the different people on set did not speak English. Um, most of the cast playing the Horga did not. Am I pronouncing that correctly? It's spelled like Harga, but they pronounce it Horga in the I, movie. I, so. I, I think so. I thought maybe yeah. it was, I mean, there's a lot in common with uh, Viking speak. So I assumed maybe you would know. No, I, oh. I, I <laughs> because I'm sorry I'm for a setting you up. Viking. I for, well, I know you, you're very fascinated with Viking mythology yeah, and stuff. I am. That is I didn't mean true. to set you up for failure there. <laughs> no, you're fine. <laughs> sorry. Um, so one thing we'll talk about many, many times is that Florence Pugh, who's the star of this movie, is absolutely outstanding. And I'm, I actually oh, want to settle gosh. something in my own head and kind of out loud. I think she actually gives the best performance in an Ari Aster movie, even though I love Tony Collette in Hereditary. Oh man, that's so hard. I it don't really have an is. I don't have an answer for that right now, but it's going to be in my head now. I was just this, this rewatch. I was like studying her face the entire time. And it's, it's just kind of incredible. And I'll, I'll have a few call outs that I want to make in particular to certain moments, but it's just incredible how she, what she is able to do in this movie. I, I, I she deserved an Oscar for this. She was nominated for like Little Women. Um, I, forget, I think the, 
this year or the year after, and she should have been nominated for this instead. Well, and it's kind of a quite the feat because, you know, you could say that Tony Collette carries Hereditary, but I feel like Hereditary is a bit more of an ensemble than this. I feel like Hugh carries this film, like carries it. She sure does. Yeah. And that, that's not to say that other people aren't good, but like she is the really the one who has the hardest job to do. Like Jack Rayner is probably has the second hardest. And I don't think it's nearly as hard as what she has to do. No, it's yeah. She does phenomenal. It is like, I mean, if I was like a young actor, like this is the kind of part that would be like, this is a chance for me to just like show what I've got. And man, did she. Yeah, absolutely. Um, There were various cuts made to make sure this got an R rating. I did not know that. And I kind of think that that's, prudish that they would have even been threatened with an with an nc-17 um maybe it was the nudity i i was assuming maybe the cuts were violence but i don't know there's definitely way more like nudity and violence in other movies that aren't nc-17 i don't know this isn't i don't get it yeah but is there culty nudeness i think the cultiness kind of adds a layer well not saying that that's right but i think it adds a layer of um like disturbed disturbing feelings um, i guess the mpaa are everything. a bunch of are a bunch of uh religious nuts and they don't want any pagan <laughs> bullshit or like yes. right <laughs> it's, uh, just, apparently yeah who knows yeah they are all parents so apparently and they yeah. like the, so i don't know i don't think that it would have deserved an nc-17 i don't know what was cut i don't shouldn't matter but anyway there is a 171 minute director's cut of this movie i can't remember if i've seen it or not i think i might have told you i had uh i don't know if i have and i don't think i care uh i've seen it i think i've seen it twice and i would say uh all the stuff they cut that made it into the director's cut um should have stayed cut okay it is a long movie it's 171 minutes is a long movie and i think this movie is long enough as it is yeah so. Yeah, it, it it really the director's cut only kind of reinforces things that are already in the film. It doesn't bring anything new. in. So wait, so the nudity and violence that you're saying was cut was in that director's cut? No, um, there's oh. more violence, but I don't think it's like NC-17 level violence. Gotcha. gotcha there is gotcha. more violence. Yeah. OK, OK, understood. Um, reception wise, pretty positive, I think. Some general audiences were kind of like, what the fuck just happened? I definitely yep. feel like I got that vibe from the theater I was in. Sounds like you 100%. Did too. Yeah. And whereas like hereditary, I feel like people walked out being like, what the fuck just happened? But they were just like, hell yeah. I love horror movies. This was kind of like, I was just like thrown through an emotional roller coaster. And yeah, it sure yeah. is. Yeah. And, and it's fair. Like the reception, like there was a little bit of, People were divided a little bit, but generally people were really like impressed with Florence Pugh with the, with the direct directing and the imagery in general um, wanted to mention this. Now, I don't know if we ever did when we did the hereditary podcast, but Martin Scorsese is a huge Ari Aster fan and has like championed him ever since he saw hereditary. He thought hereditary was awesome and he thought this was awesome. And I love that Martin Scorsese loves Ari Aster warms my heart. Um, I'm into that. Yeah. Yeah. So as we mentioned, imagery kind of 
plays like a big part in this. And it's not just kind of like the, the cult like objects and like the cult dress and buildings and structures and things like that. There is quite literally like tapestries and paintings in this movie. And I would say probably about 95% of it spoils the movie. Yeah. Before it like spoils events of the movie before it happens, which makes this movie extremely rewatchable. Oh yes. And it's a, it's a blast. And we'll, we'll get into it in a little bit more detail in a bit, but there is a, yeah, there's a recurring, um, there are, there's recurring imagery that just spoils stuff, even if it's stuff that's about to happen in like 10 minutes. And so I tried to pick up more of that this time. I feel like there's a couple things I'll mention that I caught for the first time. And I, I love this movie for that. But again, that's not necessarily what I want from horror. Like, do, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I kind of, I don't know how to put it. There's just this, something, there's something about it. I, I almost think the, like the label of horror for this isn't quite accurate. Like kind of isn't, it isn't. They, I almost feel like there should be a genre that's like trauma films. Yeah. Like this is a trauma film. It's yeah. not necessarily a horror film. Yeah. Though. then again, I have seen a lot of movies that would, I feel like horror is the perfect descriptor that are less scary or less horrifying than this. I mean, being caught in a situation that you can't escape from and there are evils going on there, even if they're kind of under some, some of them are under a guise of like friendliness that that's pretty terrifying. It's almost more horrific to think about it. Like than it would be to be like, all right. So hereditary, I, I said I was gonna I wasn't gonna do this, but I'm not really trying to pit them against each other. It's just hereditary. I don't watch and think like, holy shit, what would I do in this situation? I don't gain. Uh, it doesn't get under my skin in that way. I can't, it's just so kind of like out there that I can't really f- feel like what what would happen if I was in this situation. Whereas Midsommar very much is like that, and obviously the grief part at the beginning, but also just the entirety of the movie, the idea of being trapped somewhere like this without at first kind of really knowing that you're trapped, you're like emotionally and physically trapped is that gets under my skin. And for that, I, I really, I really do like this movie. It's very effective in that way. Well, also this movie kind of invites you to do that. It invites you to kind of question like the main character, Danny, uh, you know, who is she better off with? The movie kind of poses that question. Whereas in hereditary, there's absolutely no question. Like, the family's not better off with the Pyman stuff going on. Um, they're very clearly no. better off, like not having those things happen to them. Are you sure? Maybe like Pyman was really going to bring salvation. <laughs> I mean, you know what? Hereditary two, electric boogaloo. We, we, need to, uh, we need to see it. We don't know. Pyman might have actually been just what this world needs. Yeah, you know what? We'll, Pyman we'll twenty twenty four. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> no, Pyman. Um, oh yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, this movie also deals with various themes. The kind of the main ones being like grief and breaking up. There's definitely a recurring element of gaslighting happening in this. Some of it more just like Christian definitely has been gaslighting her for a long time before the events of this movie. Yeah. Also gaslighting both um, like very overt gaslighting. But also gaslighting where like people just aren't asking the right questions and yeah. not getting answers. Yeah. And then there's also the kind of like, there's probably a fancier way of putting this, but just like a Stockholm syndrome when you're in a really shitty relationship and you just can't get out and you keep making, you've been gaslit and emotionally abused for so long 
that you make excuses for the shitty person you're with and you feel like you're better off with them than alone. And that is just really depressing to see in a movie, in real life. And it adds to the the whole kind of general negative vibe of this movie. I, I'm not surprised that people did not all respond well to this. Yeah. And I think, again, I don't want to battle the Pokemon of Hereditary versus Midsummer, but I think Midsummer, at least with its breakup kind of angle, is a little more approachable um, yes. than Hereditary is. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Should we get into um, the plot? Yeah, should we? No, yeah, let's jump in. Let's, let's do it. Let's do it. So you mentioned imagery earlier, and imagery is kind of what we get up front uh, at the very top of the film. So it opens with this kind of brief glimpse at a mural. Um, I will describe the mural a little bit, kind of going from left to right, and then we can come back and talk about the mural at the end when we kind of know all the context. So to the left of the mural, it depicts wintertime. There is a grinning skull that's spinning smoke. There is a girl with um, tubes attached to her and with several bodies around her. Moving to the right, we see a crying woman and a man uh, kind of following her with another man writing something in parchment in a tree above them. We then see uh, four figures walking through the forest. One of them is dressed like a jester, but the others um, appear as their characters will appear in the film. And they're being led by the man who is writing. Correct. Four, four, four of them are being led by a fifth man. Yes. Yeah. Um, we see them entering uh, like a sun styled gateway um, and then some angel type things and uh, some villagers. And then the very last scene on the far right, um, we see a giant smiling sun in contrast to the skull on the left. And we see beautiful young women dancing around a uh, a May pole, right? Yeah, That's what they're a May pole. And then the sun is way creepier than the skull is. Uh, yeah, way creepier than the skull is. Big um, sun from Super Mario Brothers three energy, uh, <laughs> the one that chases you, but like even uglier. But even uglier and even more evil. Yeah. Um. So we get this mural for maybe like five seconds before it goes away. Yeah. Um, but little do we know that this will kind of depict all the events that are going to come. Yeah. So the scene, the scene, uh, the scene shifts to snow falling on a forest while a woman sings in a haunting tune in Swedish. Um, that goes on for maybe 30 seconds and we are interrupted. We really get it's our only jump scare in the entire movie. You could argue, right? Yeah, and it, it's it's a jump scare, but it's almost like an interruption, right? Um, it's I interrupt. Jumped. Yeah. Well, then it worked in the you. in the theater. It got me good. It got like everyone in the theater. <laughs> um, I I think watching the movie this time, I was kind of watching it more on um, a symbolic level, and at least to me, kind of the idea that this beautiful nature shot is interrupted by a telephone ring mm. and a shot of a modern suburb is kind of like you know how is modern life interfering with a life of nature? Yeah, which we'll kind of get to. Yeah, yeah. So um, Danny, played by the extremely capable Florence Pugh, is leaving a message for her parents to check in after receiving a strange message from her sister. Noticeably, um, I was very observant. Her parents are still breathing. Her yes, they are. are. Yeah. Yep, they are. Um, she checks her messages again. Um, and the message she gets from her sister, Terry, says, I can't anymore. Everything is black. Mom and dad are coming to goodbye. Which... 
terrifying. Right. If I got that message from a sibling or oh anyone, my, really, oh my God. I would immediately lose it and try and contact them and get help and do whatever I can. Now, I said I was observant. Can I tell you what I did? <laughs> yes, please. So there are some other messages from Terry uh, on the side of the screen. Her sister. And sure. I paused the movie. and I, I, There's some YouTube links. And so I typed them in and I looked up what YouTube videos her sister sent her. Oh, I, did you really? What are they? I did. I, I feel like I could give you a million guesses and you wouldn't get it. Um, so one of them, and again, I don't know if they just picked random thing. The reason I thought this was interesting is because this, the, those messages seem to be very, very uh, sent very close in time to, to this kind of breakdown that her sister's having. Yeah. So I thought maybe they would be somewhat, um, depressing or ominous, and also, but I have to be thought like they're just going to be completely random because they just picked a random URL, right? Neither of those things are true. They're actually related. And one of them is they're both from the National Geographic YouTube channel. Oh, okay. The first one is called Relaxing Yellowstone River Live. It's just like a live video. Of I mean, Yellow, that's kind Yellowstone of River. And the other is first ever 3D vr filmed in space one strange rock and it was just like a look at like the moon <laughs> okay well uh, terry loves nature that's an aspect of her character we don't get yeah based on the film as it is i thought you'd be amused by that i i am amused by that yeah. um so danny is debating calling christian played by jack rayner her boyfriend um and she kind of just does it anyway so they have this stilted conversation where Danny really can't ask for help, even though that's kind of what she needs and wants. Yeah. And even if she could, Christian is not the one to give it to her. And I know that's hard to explain. It like, comes through in, in their dialogue. It, yeah. It, it, it's incredible. Yeah. So she closes the call by saying, I'm very lucky to have you. I love you. And then from him, there's this very audible sigh. And he goes, oh. I love yeah. you too. Yeah, like it, it is insane how awkward their interactions are. By the way, I I I feel like I'll I'll have like a handful to say about this opening scene and less so um about like the couple of the scenes that follow. Oh yeah, no, you're but, fine. But I mean, he's such like an absolute shit, and she you can tell just from this one interaction, the only interaction between them we've gotten so far, that she is the type that is always having to swallow her feelings and put on this guise of like our relationship is fine. The subtleties in her acting and and his acting really are, are just incredible. And he, there I mean, is he he, he he gaslights her and blames her immediately. Like he tells Danny that she lets her sister do things like this to get attention, like faking panic attacks. And like she, you see her face, like the camera zoomed up on her face, and she just she looks like there's like an instant where she's like, I'm going to jump across this phone and murder you. And she swallows it and she just starts like smiling. She has this like fake smile that she puts on. It, it's she's clearly so upset and she swallows it and moves on. And it's just, oh my God. It, it's like, she's not sw smi smiling for him. Like she's smiling for herself. Like, yeah, she's like, yeah. I feel lucky to have you. It feels so forced. Um, you know, and yeah, like the whole sighing and then I love you. Like, oh my God, like he is clearly tired of this relationship. And you can tell before the interaction five seconds away where you clearly get the impression that he is tired. 
Yeah, and um, we'll we'll jump to that. But um, really quickly before that, Danny has a conversation about Christian with one of her friends on the phone, and she's worried that she's scaring him off with her family drama. Yeah, and her friend kind of tells her like, "Well, if he isn't prepared to deal with your family drama, then he may not be the person for you." Yeah, which, which and she, she's blaming herself to yes, her friend, which she like she's clearly. She's in deep like she is really self-loathing and he has made her this way. And we'll get to it. But there's him. a conversation they have later where she basically pulls an entire 180 on her own self and on her own perspective. Oh, yeah. Based on Christian. Yeah. So uh, but we meet Christian and in kind of this quick fire, we get introduced to him and his friends and their character traits. So we already have Christian, the kind of shitty boyfriend. Um, his friend Mark, who's kind of an idiot, uh, Mark played by Will Poulter. I, Will Poulter, I knew it. Mark played by Will Poulter. He's kind of an idiot. He wants Christian to break up with Danny. Um, he's been wanting him to do this for almost a year. Um, so Christian has been saying he's been wanting to break up with Danny. Mark is kind of the uh, idiot douchebag of the group. Um, and yeah, that's probably the best way to describe him, right? Yeah, there's no- nothing else to say. Nothing great about him, no. Um, we have Josh, played by William Jackson Harper from The Good Place. Uh, he calls Christian out for not doing work on his dissertation, um, his PhD. Christian, that will become a recurring thing for him. Um, but you get the sense that Josh is kind of the most academic out of the group. And then we get Pele, um, who's their sensitive Swedish friend who will be important later. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Christian answers uh, the phone and it's just Danny wailing. Um, it's God, that sound. Again, Florence Pugh's acting. Yeah. You believe it. You just hear this agonized wail and you believe that something horrific has happened to her. Yeah. And then like I think we see her before it cuts to him, like she gets this call from an unknown number. Correct. And then it cuts to him and his friends. And then yeah. Yes. Yeah. So we get a slow shot of the fire department in the garage of the Arter family home. And it follows this series of tubes from the exhaust of the car up the stairs and under the Arter's parents' door and all the way to Danny's sister's room. Um, And you can tell that the exhaust from the car has killed the parents um, silently in their sleep. But Danny's sister, Terry, it's it's very, it's, it's, I can't even do it justice without it. Look. It's so disturbing. It's very disturbing. It's very affecting. But this uh, tube is kind of duct tape around her mouth. And there's just vomit all over her shirt. And her yeah. eyes are just open and staring and dead. Yep. Um, so she has killed herself and killed her parents with her. Um, One of the most just absolutely gut-wrenching, emotionally draining openings. And it's not, oh, it's yeah. not even over yet. Because no. Yeah. So then we cut to Christian. Christian has this like deer in the headlights look on his face. He looks completely unprepared for what's going on. Um, he's outside Danny's apartment building. We see him inside holding Danny, who is like keening, which is a word I don't really use, but it's true here. Like she is keening. She is like death wailing. Yeah. Um, and the camera slow zooms into the falling snow outside, and we get credits and our title Midsummer um so god yeah what an opening <laughs> yeah, yeah. anything else to say about this opening no it grips you <laughs> it really does yeah oh man okay so uh moving on um, on a lighter we, note on a lighter note we see danny lying in bed in the middle of the day what are you doing in bed you big goof? <laughs> um, <laughs> 
Um, so underneath, we're, we're kind of going to point some of these things out, uh, little details that upon first watch, you may not kind of pay attention to, but we've both seen this movie many times. Um, and there are kind of clues and foreshadowing about, yeah. about things that are going to happen. So Danny is sleeping in the middle of the day, and it is beneath a painting of a girl with a crown nuzzling against the forehead of a giant brown bear. Um, bears will be important. Girls with crowns will be important. But my thought with this is, do you feel like this is where her relationship with Christian is right now? If she is the girl and Christian is the bear. Um, like uh, she's snuggling into him. She is close to him. Like she's snuggling into something that's probably going to like, that's dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of Christian, um, he leaves to go to a party, but Danny decides to join him. It's one of those things where he's like, well, I was going to go just real quick for 45 minutes. You don't have to come. But he clearly um, doesn't want her to go. He does not want her to go. She decides to go. At the party, she overhears that the group, uh, their plan is to go to Sweden during summer break two weeks from then for six weeks. Yeah. She is surprised. Um, and Christian kind of hems and haws about it. He says, well, I told you I was thinking about going or that I wanted to go. And she kind of rightly points out that like, hey, thinking about going and going in two weeks are two completely yeah. different things. It's so painful to watch him, him, him and Hall. Like he's just, he's like, I'm probably not going to go. And they're all looking at him like, dude, you were always going to go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this is the conversation where Danny kind of completely uh, turns around on herself. She goes from being really upset and not understanding why he didn't tell her to completely flipping around and saying like, I think it's great that you're going to Sweden. Like, yeah. I'm happy for you. He completely turns the conversation around on her and like makes her apologize. And clearly and that's something that's just been going on over and over and over again. It's depressing. Yeah. Yeah. But he does cave and he invites her to join the trip out of guilt after they do have this fight. Um, she is kind of very desperate to keep him there when he tries to leave. Um, and you see this from her a couple of times. Um, she just desperately wants like him to stay. She does not want him to go. Um, so she comes over to Christian's, uh, presumably his apartment. And him and his bros are doing bro academic stuff. They're like a a academia bros. Would you say that's a fair kind of? Event? It's more just like it's it's Mark or not Mark. It's like Josh and just Josh, and the rest <laughs> of them are fucking yeah. stupid. Yeah. Or, I mean, I guess Pele is not, but you get the sense that he's a smart guy. Like Mark's stupid, and Christian seems like just a leech. Yeah. Um, so Christian tells them that he invited her to Sweden, but he doesn't actually believe she'll come, um, which is a stupid, naive thing to think. Yeah. However, they can't really complain about it because of Danny's family situation. Her family has literally all just died like six months earlier. So no one's going to be there to kind of um, tell her no. Also, you get the sense that this is why her and Christian's relationship has kind of been limping along after such a horrific tragedy. He's not going to dump her and she needs all the support she can get or yeah. she can get. I, yeah. Honestly, she would be better without him. With no she support. would be, but I don't think she realizes that. She does not. So. Yeah. yeah. So Pele and Danny discuss the trip, including the midsummer festivities. Um, and he shows her pictures and discusses the culture of her homeland a bit. He his tells homeland. her that, or yes, his homeland. Um, he's living, he's living <laughs> he's, in her home. Let me, let me tell you a little bit about Christmas. Yeah. yeah. Um, he tells her that he's very glad she's coming and that it's a very good thing. He mentions that he also lost his parents, but doesn't elaborate. 
Um, and Danny kind of flees to the bathroom when he or when she hears him talking about his family. We get this really cool scene transition uh, of her breaking down in the bathroom and it's shifting to the plane bathroom. Um, and that's kind of how we pass time for her Very being cool. on the flight. I like it quite a bit. Yeah. Um, speaking of cool shots, we get a classic Ari Aster upside down shot as classic. they drive towards their destination, Helsingland. Um, love it. Helsingland, I have to remember that. I can't, yeah. I, I was like, I'm not going to be able to pronounce it, so I hope he can. So Helsingland is like the region they're going to, but yeah. the Horgas is the group of people they're meeting Yes, up. Helsingland is like a real place that I think Ari Aster visited while he was doing research for this. And the Horgas are real people that Ari Aster documented, and this film is a documentary. <laughs> um, anyway. <laughs> wow, how did, how did they let him go? They said <laughs> they, they wasn't going to be allowed. They told Josh later that he's not going to be able to use anyone's names. Well, I mean, pseudonyms. So, so Ari Aster is wanted by the Horgus. Like, <laughs> might be. We'll get to that in fan fiction. But yeah, um, okay. yeah. So uh, they stop at a field dotted with other small groups of people's intents, people and tents. Um, you get the impression, and we'll kind of see it later that this is a very remote area. So this is kind of just the first leg. So they drive their cars here, they park in this field, and then from there they're going to travel on foot. Um, but this is kind of stop one for them. So they meet Ingmar, Pele's brother. We say brother in kind of quotes because we'll learn more about the Horgas, but um, they have a very kind of communal family situation. They sure do. Yes. Uh, but Ingmar has brought Simon and Connie from England. So some of the Horgas have brought people from the outside, just in the same way that Pele has brought his group. Um, Ingmar gives them some shrooms to take, but Danny doesn't want to take them right now because um, she wants to kind of get adjusted. She caves, though, because, of course, she does. Um, and they all trip together. Which, um, uh, don't take mushrooms or acid when you're depressed. Maybe uh, just yeah. don't do that. Uh, yeah, maybe don't cave because your boyfriend's friends all want to come up at the same time. Maybe yeah. just chill out and don't worry about it. Yeah. But uh, we get a scene of them shrooming. They comment on the fact that it's 9 p.m. because of the midnight sun effect because of where they are on the latitude of the Earth. So it's kind of like when you're in Alaska in the summertime, um, the sun kind of always is in the sky and it only sets very briefly. I, I wish love they would have... Go ahead. go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. I Thank wish they would have played this up a little bit more for the horror. Um, in the mm. director's cut, there is a specific scene that takes place at night. Um, and I feel like it would have been even more effective if it was taking place during the day, but at like 10 p.m. at night, though the sun is still out. After the opening, sense. yeah, but after the opening, I I think there's only one scene that takes place at night that's actually happening. There's a dream sequence that takes place. I mean, by night, I mean people actually walking around and you see in the dark. In yeah. in the dark, yeah. I I love the the dialogue in their trip. With Mark's dialogue, when yes. he's like, when he's reacting to the sun, he's like, wait, that's not fine. Why is it like that? And then somebody approaches and he's like, oh, fuck, it's a new person. <laughs> well, um, Pele, so I paid a lot of attention to what Pele says this time. Mm -hmm. um, and Pele says new people are good. Oh, which makes sense. I miss that. What Pele is going to do. Um, What's he going to do? Oh, we'll have to, you'll have to listen and find out, audience. Oh, okay. Um, so Danny begins to have a bad trip as soon as Mark says the word family. Mark Mark is such a fucking clown. Um, Mark says, like, you guys are like my family. You're like my real actual family. 
Um, and as soon as she hears this, she can't handle it. She eventually runs out into the woods and passes out. Um, she wakes up six hours later uh, and we get a little bit of her bad trip. Like people are laughing at her and she runs into an outhouse and sees some things in the reflection and yada, yada, yada. But she wakes up six hours later and they continue their journey to Pella's community. Again, this is all on foot. They're no longer driving. And they even comment like, Pele, where the hell are you leading us? It's kind of in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So they finally get to uh, the Hargus community. Let's kind of camp out on a description of it. When they walk through the gates, what do they see? Uh, well, there are people kind of like dancing. And I mean, there's a lot of people in white cloaks everywhere. Yes, there's like white a, clothes a few buildings. Yeah. There are a few buildings. Uh, is, is is it like kids or women dancing like in unison? Yeah, together. It, has, it like if you watch The Office, like with Dwight Schrute's weird Dutch upbringing, it's almost like Dwight Schrute's like beet farm come to life. Ah, uh, okay, bit, right. I don't watch The Office. Oh, fair enough. Okay, then that. But actually, I do know that. of what you speak. So yes. not The Office, but I know about about Dwight's background and stuff. So. Um, but yeah, very idyllic, very pastoral, um, kind of very beautiful. And again, this very like dense imagery of like the beauty of nature with these kind of very simple houses. And then these very friendly, very blonde haired, blue eyed people kind of welcome them. Yeah. Um, so on the surface, everything is very ideal. You would want to come to a place like this. Well, well, I in mean, hindsight, I no. <laughs> Well, right. In hindsight, right. no, but like in terms of if you walked up and saw this, you would feel very welcome. Generally, yes. If I had to go as out of the way as I had to go, I'd be terrified. Even well, if even yeah. if literally nothing sinister ever happened, I would just the, the being this off the grid terrifies me. Yeah, but I mean that's just an off the grid thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Pele reunites with his family. Again, this is a communal um, you know, community, so his family is kind of everyone. And he introduces them to the group from America. Um, he very pointedly tells Danny, welcome home. Um, so again, I've been paying attention to old Pele. Yeah. Um, Siv, the village matriarch, she will kind of be the one who speaks for the village uh, a couple times from here on out. She speaks before the Hargas and visitors saying that this is a once in a 90 year, nine day feast. Now, um, I don't for one second believe that this is the only time they do shit like this. They do mention that there's a May Queen every year, and they do mention a summer and winter solstice. So one of my big questions when I watch this film multiple times or upon rewatch is how different is what happens in the film versus what they do regularly anyway? What so this that's I'm just going to say it now that it's 100 percent my fan fiction. I want okay. to know. I really want to know. I don't like when my when I say my fan fiction, it's what I want. I don't have an answer for it. My headcanon is that they do similar things they have to they can't you know in terms of like i'll just step on it now um uh, let's say let's put it as adding new members in the community they have to do it regularly they have to do it more regularly than 90 years yeah. so i'm guessing that the events that take place in the last 10 minutes of the movie maybe is something that happens once every 90 years but there are there are shades of what they're doing throughout the entire movie that definitely occur more often than this. Then I think we're in agreement, including kind of where bringing outsiders in. Yes. Yep. Um, yeah. Good. So yeah, that's, that's about where I'm at with that. Yeah. 
Um, so Siv introduces an old man and an old woman, and she carries a torch, handing it to them, saying, this high my fire, no higher, no hotter. Um, and we'll get to them in a bit. Mm-hmm. One of the Horgus girls makes Isaac Christian. Um, she taps him with her foot and gets him to join in on the dance. Um, so he and his academic academia bros kind of join in on this group dance. Yeah. And Pella asks, why don't you join in? And Danny says, no, I'm too scared. Um, she also asks him what the kids are playing. And Pelle tells her, oh, they're playing Skin the Fool. Um, that also comes really, back. Yes. Yeah. It's Dan- full of foreshadowing. It really is, but not in a way that even when you see it again, like I don't feel like it hits you on the head. It feels very organic. It does. It does. Yeah. That's a great point. Cause you know, and, and like hereditary doesn't have as much foreshadowing. It um, definitely does have some though. It does have some, but this one, Ariaster is clearly making a choice to to be overt without like being you to death with it. Yes. It, it does feel organic. Yes. Um, Pele gives Danny a drawing of herself for her birthday. We didn't mention this, but Pele is a bit of an artist. That's kind of one of his things. Um, Christian hasn't gotten her anything, and he's forgotten that it was her birthday in the first place. Um, so <laughs> Christian is not winning any great boyfriend awards. He sure isn't. Ingemar explains that. So Ingemar, again, is uh, Pele's adoptive brother. Um, he explains that he was dating Connie, uh, the one of the outsiders that he brought with her. Before she met, or before she met her now fiance Simon, Connie disagrees, saying it was just one date, and she didn't even consider it a date. And then they mockingly say that Ingemar will officiate the wedding, which is not true. He won't. Um, there's going to be more on Ingemar later. I think about Ingemar every time I watch this movie too. because there's an entire Ingemar subplot that gets kind of unspoken. Um, I, I can't wait to talk about that. And there is this this moment that you just described is fascinating to me. Like I almost rewound rewound it this time. I, I I don't know what it is, and I'm and I'm possibly reading more into it than there actually is, because maybe the purpose of this is to just show how not I don't know how different the Horgas are from typical, you know, Western culture. But yeah, the the, the confusion where he was just saying that he dated he was dating Connie. I don't know why this this that moment just kind of really creeps me out. Like, well, he, his innocence in like saying that he dated Connie, just like almost, I don't know, it carries with it some kind of like sinister. Like when he went on eight, like when he was hanging out with her that one time, that maybe in his mind or maybe in the mind of some of the men in this community, they would view that as a date and they would view that as like ownership over the woman or or something that would lead him to call this a date. And it may be not yeah. intended to be remotely sinister or ominous, but it kind of creeps me out every single time. I think it has to do with a decision that he makes at the end of the film um, with what he decides to kind of do with himself. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, I think there's an Ingemar subplot. We well, I don't know about, about decides. Well, well let's, he's let's, a willing. Well, yeah, we'll camp on it. Let's revisit but, that. I mean, so he's not re, he's not willing in the moment. He's willing in what he in a lot of the things that have already transpired. Like, I think he, he made this the decision before arriving here. Oh, I see. OK, um, I I can still see that, but I can still see it as shaded by um, yeah. kind of what happened. I got to stop, like making these like ominous references Oblique to things that references. haven't happened yeah. yet. <laughs> I apologize. Speaking of ominous things, uh, the group sees an extremely ominous yellow triangle house. 
um, in a shot of a yellow is, triangle. <laughs> it is a yellow triangle house. It, it is. I don't know how else to describe it. But um, it is, and it, yeah, it's literally shot as though like it could not be more forbidden by the way it's shot, by the way it's talked about. Yep. And Pele says no one's allowed inside. It also couldn't be shot more like this is going to be in the last like this is going to come back at the end of the movie. One billion percent. Yeah. Yes. Um, they walk by and they see a bear in a cage. Um, and Simon says, are we going to just ignore the bear? And I think either Ingemar or Pele just says, it's a bear. Um, we'll yeah. get back to the bear. Yeah. Is this when, or maybe it was actually before when like someone was making an eyes at Mark and Mark's like, oh my God, I want to give her a bath. bath. That's later. Oh, that's later. All right, my bad. Yeah. Um, so they walk by a tapestry that is hung up on some uh, clotheslines, and I'll kind of just describe it. Yeah, we should because it's slow enough where you clearly are meant like the first the mural at the beginning of the movie is kind of not like blink it or you miss it, but you're not supposed to get the entirety of, of it. But this yeah. you definitely are. So uh, the first panel, and it actually goes from right to left, not left to right, which is kind of interesting. Um, but maybe that's the way the Hargas read. Uh, so it's a girl collecting flowers, a young girl. And then uh, there's a panel of the girl seeing the boy or a boy rather. Um, and some hearts kind of around her eyes and around her person. So she's clearly kind of smitten with him. Um, there's a scene depicting her dreaming uh, about like being in love with him after putting flowers under her bed. Um, the next shot shows a rooster crowing at dawn. And there is a shot of the girl um, cutting off her own pubic hair and putting it into food, as well as collecting her own period blood and putting that into food um, and feeding it to the young boy. There's a picture of the boy with kind of his eyes looking all hypnotized. And then the last panel is them being married and her having a full belly with child. Yep. Um, so Yikes. remember that for later, guys. How could you forget it? Up. Yep. Oh, goodness. Um, Pele takes the group to the communal dorms that they'll share while they stay. And let's kind of describe what the dorms look like, because I think they're really cool. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, give us like a little overview. So there's kind of two floors. I don't remember seeing stairs or is there a ladder or something like I that? I don't either. I think there's a ladder. I don't think there are stairs. OK, well, there's a big open area in the middle. There's a little like foyer area where they have like the pictures of all the past May queens. And like really like the beds are just like it's it's like cots almost just like uh like around the edge uh around the outer wall of the first floor and then also of the top floor and above basically every single bed there is a unique piece of art uh not like art hanging but like murals and they're all beautiful and they're all in the same style as the um the mural of the girl and the boy that we were just describing yeah, and I paid particularly close attention to some of them in this time. This time, and I did not. I noticed things that I did not that I did not notice on previous watches. Yeah, um, the more you pay attention, the more you notice things from the murals kind of creeping into the film. Yes, or vice versa, right? Yep, yep. Um, so uh, the Horgas view life like the Four Seasons. Pelly says so. From one to eighteen, they consider it springtime. From summer 18 through 36, they consider it uh, their pilgrimage time. So that's when they leave the community. They go out, they find people, and ideally they bring people back, like Pele has done and like Ingemar has done. Um, fall for them is 36 through 54, where they do their labor. Um, and then winter, 54 through 72, is when they're kind of in their old age. 
Danny asks what happens at 72, and Pele makes this mock throat slit motion. So funny. Oh, haha. Yeah, we'll <laughs> we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, Danny sees photographs of the former May Queens, as you said. Um, and Pele reminds Christian that it's Danny's birthday. Christian gives her a really shitty attempt at a birthday surprise. Really he like brings her out. And so it, it painful. Is, painful is the perfect word for it. But what I noticed this time is that he's trying to give her a piece of cake and trying to light this candle and it's not going well for him. But behind them in the background, a group of Horgas women sway holding a baby in unison. And what I noticed this time while watching the film is that Danny keeps kind of looking over distractedly at them. Hmm. So again, they're women all together, all in unison, swaying with a baby, comforting it. Um, Whereas she has shitty Christian uh, giving her this piece of shit birthday cake with a candle. Um, and I noticed that when she blows out the candle, she makes almost the Horgas oh, sound. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I noticed for the first time today, or not today, when I watched the film. So, mm. interesting. Um, a woman slips a pair of scissors underneath the baby's pillow, which Danny sees. Um, we'll kind of get to that and what that might mean. Um, I still don't necessarily know what to do with the scissors underneath the baby's pillow. I don't either. It's like, is the, if the thing, if this baby cries, just kill it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't get it. Yeah. Um, Pele tells them that the first big ceremony will take place tomorrow. He mentions the Swedish name for the ceremony. I think it's Atastupa, um, yeah. which Josh recognizes. However, neither of them will elaborate on what it means, which, which is a real dick move. Real dick move and it's funny because it comes back later where essentially like someone says like i tried to explain it it's like no you didn't you You literally wouldn't yeah um one of the murals that uh, depicts or that is on the wall um depicts a scene where women are watching while a man and a woman have sex on the floor Um, you want to know what i noticed this time what did you notice this time someone is sleep christian sleeps beneath that mural (gasps) oh no shit yeah Perfect. I know. I, I did not notice that before. Um. So whether the next day or later, we don't know, because, again, it's daytime all the time. Um. But in front of the ominous yellow triangle house, uh, the village, the village and all the guests sit at a table forming a rune. The old man and the old woman from before approach, the ones that were told, you know, no higher my fire, no hotter, things like that. They sit at the two places of honor. And when they sit, everyone sits. When they move to eat, everyone else moves in unison. This is also when a Horgas makes eyes at Mark. Um, there's oh, a yeah, subplot but... with Mark. Yeah, well, yeah. it'll go it'll go somewhere. But it, at least the first time I saw it, I'm like, why is Mark getting any playtime here? Mark Did sucks. you? I was really observing these the old people closely this time. Do they look scared to you? They look scared. They look like really scared. Yeah, I go back and forth on that a lot. Um, I think they look scared. However, what's weird to me is that the woman at least looks younger than many of the like other women in the community. She does seemingly younger. I clocked that too, uh, but But, I just rolled with it. Yeah, I rolled with it as well. But they do look scared. The woman does for sure to me. Yeah, yeah. So after this meal, the man and woman, the old man and old woman, are carried in their chairs and the whole community follows behind them. The next shot is uh, a scene of the Horgas all looking straight upwards. That includes a man holding a giant wooden hammer. Uh, We'll get to the wooden hammer with like spikes at the top. Yeah. Yeah. There's this discordant tone that drones and swells in the background. Yeah. 
there's they use this to good effect probably three times in the film here um with danny's parents and terry there's this kind of discordant droning sound yeah. uh, at the beginning and then they'll do it again at the end in kind of this weird triumphant way yeah. um but here it's it signals something very unsettling is going to happen um so danny christian mark and pele are all standing off to the side while most of the community members are standing closer to the cliff so they're looking up at this high cliff. The old man and woman are let down from their chairs atop it. From the shot that we see, um, we can see that gravestones litter the top of the cliff, but you cannot see them from below. So Danny, for example, does not see them. Yeah. Uh, Siv is reading from their book of scripture and Josh asks about it. Pelly says he wouldn't be able to read the book. Now, at the moment, we don't know whether that means he's not allowed or not physically able will learn later he like even that it's he, both <laughs> yeah he, he can't yeah um the woman and the man have their palms cut open and they smear blood on rune covered rocks um then here i mean here it goes well i mean let's let's take it slow a little bit yeah. right i mean what happens first <laughs> Well, I mean, I, you tell me. Well, no, I, all... I, I guess I just mean that, like, we, we get some time to react to, to one before the next. True. This is my only point. I don't want right. to rush through that because I want to talk about, like, well, I guess let, let me say this. So, well, say what happens first, uh, and then I'll then I'll say something. <laughs> so, of the pair, uh, the man and the woman, the woman walks to the edge of the cliff, and she kind of looks upward. She raises her arms. Her and Danny kind of have this moment where they're looking back and forth at each other. Um, and then again, there's this like really discordant drone playing the whole time and it's ratcheting tension and I can feel it in my chest. And then the woman jumps off the cliff. Uh, she jumps off the cliff and lands on the rock beneath it. Like face which, first. Face like... first. And you see her body bounce and her face is gone. Just her face is just gone and what i what i'm very confused about is uh, and i don't think it's just because i've seen horror movies before if you're danny if you're all the rest of those like american people and even the british people how do you not clock what's happening before everyone seems to they don't start freaking out until she gets to the cliff edge once you can see her and you see what everyone else is doing down there, and they're old. I don't know. I I'd be having a panic attack if I'm if I was them. Like I I would. They're like, I I, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like they don't freak out enough. Like Danny starts to freak out a little bit, and they show it as it's about. Like she's kind of like everyone's just still paralyzed with fear that it's like they can't do anything about it. Maybe that's the point. But I'm just kind of surprised that nobody is freaking out. Like Josh seems morbidly curious. Like, I feel like Josh and even maybe Christian figured out what was going to happen. And we're like, I'm okay with this. But and like, didn't but, but terrifying. Yeah. And didn't tell Danny. Yeah. yeah. Um, the people who do freak out, Simon freaks out. Oh, God. Um, yeah. As does Connie. And Ingemar is trying to calm them down. However, uh, before they're able to do that, the man of the pair also jumps off the cliff. However, he jumps um, he straight dives. up and down. He pencil dives. Idiot. Um, his leg is fractured horrifically and he's <sighs> still alive. 
So don't worry, Chekhov's hammer is back. Three people take turns crushing his skull with a hammer. Uh, And even when he's very obviously dead and his skull is very obviously crushed, they still do it a third time. Yeah. Uh, And it's, it's, oh, it's rough. And he's like screaming before he gets hit the first time. And like, yeah. The crowd kind of screams and moans with him in unison with his Yeah. And we'll get more of that from the Horgas. Um, so on Every some time, level they're oh, with so, him, but on another yeah. level, it's like, yeah, but you didn't actually just have to fucking do that. Yeah, there is. I I get fooled by it every time. I forget about the whole mimicking thing that is recurring, and it happens. Especially, I remember it at the end. But every time I watch this, I think that they're just ups. That they're, they're moaning in how like he fucked up something. Like the fact that he mm. didn't do this right means like you know he won't get the afterlife that he wants right, or something right. like that and they're just like all moaning in in sadness about that or disappointment sounds like yeah. disappointment like disappointment. wow yeah. you really let us down old man <laughs> um which is fucked up but i think you yeah but i think you're right it could, it's that. possible but like it, it, it also could just be they're mimicking him that's it or both yeah or both um so siv attempts to explain what has happened um it's a custom of the horgas that all life gets recycled and that in their view, it's better to give your life as a gesture than to get old and sick and become a burden. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how they justify it. And then it. she's like, Amar, did you warn them? And he's like, I tried to. Well, no way that a he very did. Good fucking job. I don't believe life. for a second. Amar tried to, and I just yeah. like Pele didn't tell, tried Pele to do anything. Absolutely did not. Yeah. And that, that is to me, this, this moment here, or like the absence of any explanation beforehand or warning is the first like truly sinister thing they do but but like this that to me proves they are they like fucking with them this isn't just like we've made peace with what we're going what we're doing they like it like there is an evilness to not warning them about it you spend enough time in america that that's sinister there's a malicious intent to it yes yeah they want to get in their heads they want to fuck with them. And they do. They sure do. So they head back to town. Well, the community center, whatever, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Christian tries to come for Danny as they're walking back, and she is not having it. She walks well, he, he's also really not doing a very good job. No, he's horrible. He's horrible yeah. at it. Um, I, I, I don't support Christian in the slightest in any way at any time, uh, except no. sort of one moment where I wouldn't wish something on anybody really but um and i'm not talking about the the very end so she walks away crying christian goes to see josh who is not rattled christian tells him that he's going to write his thesis on the horgus community and josh is furious at this because josh is doing his thesis on midsummer and that's the reason that they're there and that's why they're there and josh is like find your own subject and Christian, the little fucking slime ball that he is, he's like, I'm open to collaborating if you want. He is just such a twat. <laughs> he's, yeah. he's a horrible person and I hate him so much. So Mark is pissed. Uh, he shows up. I, I This is every time I'm like, I forgot Mark wasn't there. And, and yeah, it's funny because he would have made his presence known. He would have. I like. Is that the reason why you think they wrote him out of it? Because Mark would have been very extra. He, yeah, he would have been like, "Dude, what's happening, dude?" Yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah definitely. And he's. I mean, he's pissed. They let him sleep through the ceremony, 
And Pele tells Josh that he can't write his thesis on the Horgas because the elders will not allow it. This agitates Josh. Pele says he'll ask the elders. Doesn't seem like he really cares for obvious reasons. But Pele finds Danny packing up and trying to leave. He approaches her, tries to comfort her and get her to stay. He says, I was excited, more excited for you to come than any anyone else. And Pele brings up the fact that his parents are dead too, brings it up again. And he says they burned up in a fire. And he's like, I, I mm. understand what you're going through, Danny. And yeah, that will come back later. He says he never felt lost because he had a community, his family, to help him. And says everyone deserves a family. He then grabs her hand pretty lovingly and kind of like rubs it with his like thumb as he's holding it. And he says, do you feel held by him? Do you, does he feel like home to you? And she's nervous that Christian, who, who he's talking about, will walk in. And so it kind of gets uh, um, broken up. But during that, there is a smash cut to the wrecked faces of the two old people as they're burned. <laughs> in the, yeah. Like so right, right from that scene. Just goes the, right to that. The film kind of presents the question, like, would Dannier be happy? Or would, would Dannier? Would Danny be happier or would she be better off, like, kind of with this community? And every time the movie maybe suggests the answer is yes, it will immediately counter itself with something like this. I, I love that about it. Like, the, the, it's such a great cut. Like, it, yeah. the, the timing of this cut is great and gross. Uh, and the that imagery haunts me. So Christian, he, you know, he tries to comfort her again. Um, he's horrible at it, as usual. And she is just very, very concerned and how not disturbed Christian seems to be by what they just witnessed. And he claims he's trying to keep an open mind. And I think that like what his perspective on it is, is what like, I think Aster was also possibly trying to like dig at also is, you know, to us people, like other people's beliefs seem crazy. And to other people, you know, like our beliefs seem crazy. Um, did I say well, that right? <laughs> it's it's kind of playing with the idea of uh, like cultural relativism. Yeah. Right? Um, the idea of being like, well, all cultures are basically the same. And like, this is just their custom without like putting a value judgment on it. But yeah. I would like to be so bold as to put a value judgment on this and say that ritualistic suicide at age 72 is bad. Yeah. I'd like to say that shouldn't exist in any I'm going to go out on a limb and say that. Yeah. Yeah. So at nighttime, this is really like one of the few nighttime sequences. Danny asks Josh for a sleeping pill. Clearly, I'd need it too. And she has this dream where she wakes up and everyone else has packed up and left her. She follows them out of the little like dorm building they're staying in, screams at them as they drive away. And as she screams, like smoke comes out of her mouth. You actually hear the scream. And there's the flashes of the dead old people at the bottom of the cliff. But also we see like a flash of her sister and dead parents at the foot of the cliff as well. Gross. Yeah. Back to real time. The redhead girl from earlier is awake and is staring at Christian while he sleeps. And she's holding something and and walks over to the bed and puts it under the foot of Christian's bed, which Josh sees. So we then in the next morning see the ashes of the old people that are shoved onto a sacred fallen tree. We, the audience, see this is sacred. We can tell what's it's, going uh, on. It's Chekhov's fallen. Chekhov's sacred fallen sacred tree. Yeah. Classic. A classic. Mark and Josh approach Pele, who is gardening. Um, I'm guessing this is something to do with hallucinogens. 
Probably. Uh, Pele tells Josh that the elders have said that Josh can do his thesis on them, but he cannot use any of the names of any of the people or the locations. And he has, I think he says like, you have to sign something. Also, I, it just hit me now that we forgot to mention one of my favorite lines. I'm sorry to interrupt the complete flow of this, but there is this line when they're being shown the the dorm before where this woman comes in and says, Oh, the kids are watching Austin, Austin Powers, Powers at the, yes. down at the South house. Yes. <laughs> it's so, it's so out of like, it's nothing like any of the other lines in this movie. It's, uh, I guess it's just to show you that like, even though they're very isolated, they're clearly not divorced from the modern world. Entirely. Right. Or that could be a flat out lie to try to make people, the Americans feel like at home. Yeah. Also speaking of flat out lies, like why does Pele go to this? Like, we'll get to it, but it every time I watch this, I'm like, why is it going to this length to like tell him he can do his thesis? Like we all know right. what's going to happen. Yeah. Like, why are you making him jump through all these hoops? It seems silly. Yep. Yep. So Josh shows Pele what that girl put under Christian's bed. Christian is not there. Uh, he does not witness this conversation. Pele says that it's a love rune that casts a love spell. And Pele mentions that the red-haired girl who did this is his sister and that she has taken a liking to Christian and that she is able to have sex now. I think, actually, wait, he does tell this directly to Christian, doesn't he? Or the, the fact about his sister. His sister's name is Maya. Yeah, Maya. And he's like, yeah, just in case you you know want to put it in something, it isn't Danny. <laughs> Um, oh God! But they, so they are, and this conversation is interrupted by this man who is screaming at Mark, who is uh, the camera like pans over, is peeing on the sacred tree. Now Mark, Mark is a shithead. In I, defense I, I, of Mark, yeah, you shouldn't just go around peeing on things. But there was nothing about that tree that would have led me to assume that it was one of their most sacred artifacts. Yeah, unless you happen to witness them dumping ashes, right. but also. Go into the forest. Don't pee in front of everyone in full view. Yeah, that's a good point. The tree is not like in the forest. It's in the middle of a field. Yeah. So so we cut to Connie, the Londoner, packing a bit and telling <laughs> Danny that she is leaving. One of the Horgus members tells Connie that her boyfriend, Simon, already left without her to head to the train station and that the car will come back for her to take her there as well. She is extremely and obviously confused by this. And the Horgus member is like, he says, like, the truck only had room for two people. She's like, I could have sat on his lap. And he's like, well, we, we don't break track. Oh, us. yeah. Okay. Yeah. You guys are. Yeah. You're fine with ritualistic cliff jumping suicide, yeah. but breaking traffic laws. No. Love it. So she storms off. Uh, Danny tells Christian all about this, who is talking to one of the commune members. And uh, he's like, oh, that sucks. And clearly doesn't care. The camera then lingers on Danny, who is just giving him this really funny look. Like, she's totally befuddled. And she just I cannot believe that Christian isn't more concerned about this. Uh, he presumes his conversation. And the commune member tells him that they respect the incest taboo and they breed close, but not within the same family, which explains a lot of this whole brother-sister family right. stuff right. and he says we often need to invite outside people again total foreshadowing kind of funny well, also they, they like, might as well just tell them exactly what they're doing and i bet they wouldn't leave but also logical right because the community this small like to exist it would have to do this oh definitely yeah yeah so danny starts wandering around and is invited by a group of women to come help cook um, Danny, when she's in there, asks where Simon is, and the woman says he was just driven to the station. Danny is still very concerned, doesn't buy this for a second. The camera starts to kind of follow the redhead uh, like while they're in there 
do working on the food. It follows her, Maya, um, who has prepared some food of her own, and she sets it down kind of apart from the, where the rest of the food is. That's important. So we cut to Josh, who is talking in a church. Like, uh, it's a, well, it's like a church like building. It's not actually, I suppose it's kind of like a church to one of the elders who is explaining that the book that they're looking at is this book of like beliefs. He calls it, they, he refers to it as like emotional sheet music. And these like sacred te- texts, they're like out of everywhere. And the elder explains that their books are always evolving and they have kind of hundreds and hundreds of them. And that the current iteration is being written by this mentally disabled boy, Ruben. Ruben also, is his name, right? Yeah. Ruben is like meant to be kind of freakish and monstrous. Um, yes. Which, you know, I don't love as a depiction of a person with disabilities. Yeah. But he is very deliberately supposed to be portrayed as like, um, disturbing yeah and then right after that like the elder says like he is unclouded that's why he's writing and that all of the prophets are deliberate products of inbreeding which is again like this cultural relativism like uh, the anthropologist and josh is like oh okay that makes sense but any person off the street would be like that's bad that's a bad thing like you shouldn't do that yeah so Josh wants to take a photo of the sacred texts text and the elders. The elder reacts very negatively to this. It says, absolutely not. Um, it, it's very obvious what Josh is going to do at this point. Like the first time seeing it, you're like, I know exactly where this is going. Yeah, this is I mean, that's kind of like some good foreshadowing, like horror movie foreshadowing where you're like, yeah, Josh is going to get it. So at dinner, Josh is given. Um, oh, sorry. Christian, Christian is given a very yeah. specific food. Yep the meal that the redhead had prepared Maya and he finds a red hair in it. And what's funny is they all immediately are like, that's a pube. I guess I would, I guess I would I, actually, you know what? No, I wouldn't have assumed that. I wouldn't have assumed that. Yeah. Like someone could just have short hair on their head. Yeah. They're all just like, yeah, that's a pube. And then he drinks from a cup that is <laughs> noticeably redder in color than everyone else's drink. And no one notices that. This is so obvious. Like, I so don't obvious. understand how no one noticed this. Yeah. Uh, also, so gross. <laughs> yeah. Very, very gross. So gross. Danny asked where Connie is. And one of the commie members says he drove her to the train station, which, again, does not satisfy Danny in the slightest. And... This is another line that made me laugh, even though it's not supposed to be funny. There's like this silence, and she's she like says to Christian, "I can see you possibly doing that." Yeah, Just well, like, yeah, so could her. I. Yeah. He's a piece of shit. He's a piece of shit. And another funny thing is the man who was yelling at Mark earlier is glaring at Mark. He has some real intense, crazy eyes. He really does. Yeah. And at this moment, Mark is lured away into the forest by the girl who had made eyes at him earlier. So. Cuts the nighttime again. We don't know where Mark went. Danny gets another sleeping pill from Josh, but Josh wakes up in the middle of the night and sneaks out to the church-like building to take some photos of the sacred texts. We see in a reflection that someone has entered the room, and it looks like Mark at first, or Josh at least thinks it's Mark, and he approaches and realizes it's not. And he is then suddenly killed with a mallet from behind and taken away. He is dead. It is revealed that it was a commune member wearing Mark's skin face. I think it might have been Ruben. I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. The way he kind of like moans. Yeah. yeah. So there's your skin, the fool. Yep. 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 So the next morning at breakfast, Danny is wondering where Josh and Mark are. No one else is concerned. Christian is not concerned. An elder then comments that one of the sacred texts 
was stolen the night before. And so the elders approach Danny and Christian kind of asking where Josh and Mark are and Christian. <laughs> and again, funny throws Josh under the bus yes. completely. He's like, I don't want to have anything to do with that guy. We, we don't, we do. He's like, we don't even know him. He's yeah. that, but he's just like, yeah, we don't want to be associated with him at all. And Danny is just so disgusted by this. <laughs> Christian is such a shit. Ah, oh, anyway. So Pele says he's going to go look for Josh and Mark. The elders tell Danny that for the day, she needs to go with the women. And Christian is then asked to go to the elder woman's house. What did you say her name was again? Siv. Siv. So as part of Danny's like events, Danny is adorned with a flower crown along with uh, various other women. She has served some tea, which is clearly drugs again. And the Horkas part- love their hallucinations. They love their they, they love really their, do. They really yeah. do. Uh they participate in this dance competition where they are kind of all all the women are dancing around this maypole until they kind of fall down from exhaustion, dizziness, what have you. And then the last woman standing will be the May Queen. It very quickly hits Danny that the tea was hallucinogenic, and she kind of visualizes that her feet are like they're like the grass of the ground is like growing through her feet. Yes. Kind of a repeat of the the imagery when they were tripping the time before. And yeah, so Christian, meanwhile, is sort of like interviewed by by Siv. And when he's waiting for her, he is staring at art on a wall of a bear that's on fire. I think it's on. Hmm. Yeah. More Hmm. foreshadowing there. The woman asks how he feels about Maya and tells him that he's been approved to mate with her due to astrological compatibility. And I think it's very funny that the, 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 the commune is just like not at all beating around the bush now. It's kind of like. It, like, even if he was like deeply in love with Danny, they would have. She would have been like, "Yeah, so you can have sex with her if you want." He'd be like, "Wait, but I but I have a girlfriend," and they'd be like, "Yeah, but she can have sex with you." Like, well, I don't, it, I don't get it, it. It almost wouldn't even be like that. It would be like, "Well, you guys are astrologically compatible, so you have to." Yeah, right. like that's the vibe it gives. Right. Yeah, and. <laughs> Actually, maybe this is the funniest part of the movie. It's, this he, one's pretty funny. Where he's just like, he just kind of like takes a beat and he's like, I think I ate one of her pubic hairs. She goes another beat and she's like, that's probably right. <laughs> uh, this movie is funny. It is very funny. Yeah. Uh, he walks by the da- dance competition after he's done with Siv and kind of like watches with the other men. He looks deeply uncomfortable. And this is even before he's been given any drugs. But as the competition continues, he is then given that hallucinogenic tea by a girl. And he asks what it does. And she basically describes exactly what they're trying to use it for. He's like, yeah, yeah, it breaks down your defenses. Um, I think she says something like, you know, makes you like easily influenceable or some weird like on the nose thing like that. And he's like, sounds great. No, well, he refuses. But then she just kind of like barely peer pressures him to take it. Yeah. Yeah, and so there's, like, one of the women that is kind of, like, with Danny, like, kind of holding her hand and, like, with her through a lot of the dance competition that is really seems to be trying to, like, make an effort to make Danny feel, like, comfortable. Um, and Danny kind of alternates between, like, having a lot of fun as the dance competition go goes on and a little, like, upset. And then, obviously, every time she sees Christian, she's just like, man, fuck life. Because right. he's just the biggest wet blanket and piece of shit in, in, in the world. And like he's very distracted. He's not paying attention to her. He's clearly, I mean, he must be thinking about whether or not he wants to have sex with this Swedish girl. And in an interesting moment, Danny is just like, I can't speak Swedish. And then she starts talking to them in Swedish. And yeah. 
I don't understand if that's just like a hallucination or I don't know, just tripping. I, I don't know what to make it of make it of make of it either because there's nothing like hereditary is supernatural elements to that horror. Yeah. There's nothing supernatural going on here. It's just like she seems to be assimilating so well. She's already subconsciously picking up on their language, which seems fast to me. But yeah. I mean, it is kind of showing you. It's foreshadowing. And earlier she does say a couple things like I think she says like thank you in yeah. Swedish to, to people when they first arrive. But anyway, it's not really doesn't really matter that much. But she eventually wins the competition and is crowned May Queen. And all of the women just shower her with attention and praise. And she seems very overwhelmed. And as she is kind of moved through this crowd of people, I like the shot where it's just like it's kind of her like first person view. Congre- like people congratulating her uh ingmar gives her the creepiest smile i don't know if you <laughs> clocked that but i didn't no. uh yeah and she sees her mom walk by yes and is very disturbed by this because you know drugs gonna drug and pele approaches and kisses her on the lips uh she really has like no time to react to this she has been drugged i mean she's basically been assaulted yeah. and even though she did take it willingly i suppose uh she has then she's like then elevated on a platform and taken away in celebration. And this leaves Christian behind. And the shot is really funny. It's just like everybody. And then just dumb old, poor Christian. Well, not poor Christian, but just like pathetic Christian, just kind of like stumbling around, um, clearly having a bad trip. Um, so good. <laughs> Again, I mean, her and Christian knew what they were taking and took it willingly, but yeah. that doesn't excuse anything that's happening, including to Christian as much as I hate him. So, I mean, they're both, just to say it right now, they're both both essentially kind of raped, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. You know, I hate Christian, but actually... I well. mean, listen, I hate Christian, but what this dude does to him while he's tripping sucks. Like, you should never do this to anyone. <laughs> you're, right. you're right. This is not cool. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so she's taken to this long banquet table uh, that's outside and the food the trees and the leaves around her are still moving in a weird way because she is still tripping they're like breathing almost yeah very cool i i will say not that i will admit on air that i have done hallucinogens but let's say hypothetically maybe i have i will say this movie is one of the better representations of what things look like while you are on hallucinogens the kind of like breathing and moving stuff yeah the yeah. like breathing and subtle moving like that is very true to life to yeah. me and hypothetically and hypothetically. she so, so she does the whole thing that the old people did earlier where she sits first and then everyone else sits she starts eating then everyone else eats and she's like super confused and scared by basically all of this and christian is just sort of walking by himself and then comes to the table nobody cares about him at all no and he is yeah he's having a bad trip he doesn't even look at her because i don't think he knows she's there to in, to a degree i mean actually maybe he does look down the table but either way he asked this random old guy for help who's sitting next to him and he just claps in christian's face to god what a dick such a dick move. <laughs> like, don't do that <laughs> yeah and this girl next to danny is like you are in the family now yes and she's kind of just like yeah cool so Christian locks eyes with Maya as she leaves the table and walks away. Danny is then told she needs to go ride in a carriage somewhere like nearby, but that Christian cannot come with. And there is this kind of like brief shot of these women digging the small hole. They put this meat, this like raw meat down there, I think. 
yeah. and then crack a raw egg on top of it and bury it. Danny steps on it. I think she's holding a torch at this point, right? Yes. And it kind of um, just continues whatever ritual this is. I have yeah, no idea like what any of that means. I don't either. Um, but obviously the Horgas are very ritual-based people. Very. Yeah. So Christian's taken to a building where he then breathes in something. They give, they give it to him for his vitality. And they and he enters a room where he is essentially forced to have sex with Maya. So there are these like naked women in the community of all ages. Well, not young ages, like old, older women surrounding Maya, who is naked and lying on the ground, kind of like surrounded by foliage, I guess. Yeah. Some leaves or something. And Christian just kind of, you know, gets on and uh, starts having sex with her. And, you know, like at first, like Maya's like moaning and like the other women start like mimicking that. It's pretty funny. <laughs> At one point, Maya reaches out for one of the women who grabs his, her hand and it's starts so singing to her. And it's then it so freaks Christian out. I, I don't know what your theory, theater experience was. We uh, The theater was like giggling this entire scene. Oh, this was the theater was dead silent through the entire. Oh, movie. really? We, yeah. Yeah. I guess yeah. I guess I had a I had a giggly theater. But I mean, because we were all so uncomfortable, too. And and clearly, Asher was going for comedy with that. And then this other, like, older, older, older woman, like, comes up from behind and starts, like, pushing Christian's cheeks, like, to help push Christian. It's so uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable. Ruben's also there, like, watching from a bed. Um, Anyway, so Danny comes back. She runs to the building looking for Christian and witnesses the ritual. She then obviously totally this fucks her up and she throws up probably from the drugs, but also maybe from the shock and is taken to the house where everyone's sleeping in. And she kind of like stumbles around. She stumbles to all fours and starts having a panic attack. The other women join her kind of all getting on their knees and surrounding her. And they just like mimic her cries and her deep breathing and her kind of like panic breathing. Yeah, it's a very kind of oddly beautiful scene, even though, you know, well, we'll we'll talk about it. But yeah, yeah, it's 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 weird. Um, But it, it's a pretty intense kind of sequence of events that we just got. So this kind of whole this is like a really big, like long sequence with like Danny with the May Queen, him tripping him, the sex and all that kind of stuff. And it kind of like builds and builds and builds. And this is where it really kind of pays off where Christian literally finishes. um. And Maya starts rocking backwards, saying she can feel the baby, which... There's something so, like, disgusting to me about that. And I don't (laughs) know what it is, but the idea that, like, she curls her legs up and is like, I can already feel the baby. Yeah. It's so, like, it's it's gross. I don't know why. I don't like it. Yeah, it's it's uncomfortable. So Christian runs away naked, uh, and everyone just starts kind of laughing at him. He was just a sperm vessel, right? I mean, nobody, nobody cares about him. And he starts running around again, like totally naked. And he as he kind of runs around, like looking in different buildings, he finds Josh's leg buried in a garden and with like this rune carved on the like end of Josh's foot. And then he goes into this little like barn and he finds one of the more horrific things in the entire movie. uh, Simon, Simon's flayed corpse hanging from like the ceiling. Yep. in a blood eagle form. Do you want to explain what a blood eagle is? Yeah, so if I remember correctly, a blood eagle is a thing that the Vikings used to do yeah. uh, where they cut open your back and they pull your lungs out 
and they flay your lungs out as though they're angel wings and you are still alive when this is happening. Um, so when they show Simon, Simon is still alive because his lungs are inflating and deflating. Yeah. Um, pretty fucked up. It's rough. Yeah. And it kind of, as Christian stumbles backwards, like in shock, this elder that appears and blows this paralytic drug into his face, which knocks him out. Yes. So things kind of go black for old Christian. Yeah. So uh, we kind of now are on a rocket sled ride till the end of the film. Things kind of pick up from here. Uh, but Christian doesn't even open his eyes. He has his eyes opened for him uh, by one of the Hargus women. And she says, Christian, you can't speak. You can't move. All right. <laughs> and just the way she says it as though, like, this is entirely what's supposed to be happening. You're not yeah. supposed to be moving. You're not this supposed is normal. to be speaking. Just another um, day. There's something about like people saying and doing horrific things under normal circumstances with like that, normal like, tones of voice, with, like yes, friendly tone. Yeah. That like terrifying. triggers my horror response. Yeah. Um, and mm -hmm. basically this and most of what happens through the end of the film, like checks that box for me. Oh yeah. Um, so Siv goes to address the gathered Horgos and she uh, tells them that, they're gathering around Danny as their May Queen and that they will surrender nine human lives during this festival. She says that some have been sacrificed already and that four Horgas will need to sacrifice themselves too. So the old man and the old woman who jumped off the cliff earlier count as two of their sacrifices. Mm -hmm. um, Danny will get to pick the ninth. We'll get to that in a second. Um, and Ingemar and some dude are also sacrificing themselves. So now let's talk about Ingemar sacrificing himself. Okay. In my head canon, Ingemar was in love with Connie, but because he couldn't get Connie and because Connie winds up being murdered because, of course, the outsiders are murdered, Ingemar doesn't feel like he has anything left to live for, so he gives himself up as a sacrifice. What do you think? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Because I, the way that they describe it is that, like, the work in going out there to bring outsiders in, I thought they made it, they make, they more than imply that the people who do that die. But Pele doesn't die. They, he is the exception because, and I think they say it like, because you found the May Queen. Mm. You brought us our, your, our May Queen. And then, so he's going to be like celebrated instead. I, my head canon, I, I could be wrong. And it could honestly just be like a line of dialogue that, makes the difference either way that I, maybe I feel like I heard that maybe wasn't actually there, but like my head canon is that Ingmar and Pele left to go find people to bring back knowing that they would die, that they would likely be sacrificed when they got back. See, I, that's not the way I read it. I read it as going out and getting people is like your duty, but it doesn't involve sacrifice of you necessarily. Yeah. I read it as because of what happened with Connie and Simon and Ingmar, Ingmar feels like heartbroken or whatever the case may be and doesn't want to live anymore. Maybe. I, I, I've never heard that read before, but it's an interesting one. Like, I, I truly don't know what the right answer is. There, I it, mean, the movie doesn't give you one, really. Yeah. 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 So yeah. just interesting. But so one of the people that will be sacrificed is Ingmar. 
Um, yeah. And then a random dude. Just some random dude. So that brings the total to eight. There's the yes. four Americans that have been killed. They're, they're the two old people. And then, yeah, uh, Ingmar yes. and the other guy. So for number nine, Danny has to choose between Christian, who is, again, paralyzed, and one of the Horgas, Honorable Torbjorn. Um, I just remember that because every time Torbjorn is a character in Overwatch, um, oh. and the way they say Torbjorn always makes me laugh. So Honorable hmm. Torbjorn. Um, guess who she picks? It's not Honorable Torbjorn. It sure um, isn't. And I'm really glad that they cut away and you don't actually see her pick. Correct. Um, though we should note that she still seems pretty out of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, um, that's, I mean, we'll talk about it now. I was going to ask that question at the end. It's like, how under the influence do you think she still is right now? So, um, what I've heard from Florence Pugh, um, regarding Danny at the end and kind of her smile is that Florence Pugh was told by Aster to play basically like Danny's out of her mind. Like Danny's not home right now. Mm -hmm. um at the end so that kind of gives her like if that's true if no one's home and danny's so detached from what's going on by trauma then i feel like it lessens the impact of the film to me i feel like that smile at the end if it comes from danny has much more of an impact than if she's so whacked out of her gourd she doesn't know what's going on yeah i don't i don't think i like the idea of her being not home you know yeah, but that's apparently according to Florence Pugh, she was told to be like, no one's home. Danny's not home right now. Yeah. Um, but as to whether that's what you want to believe when you're watching it, that's up to you. Yeah. Uh, so the Horgas load up the forbidden yellow house with all the bodies of those they've already killed. Um, inside the house, there's piles of hay that are laid out in a room. Um, Christian is put inside of a bear suit um which is as improbable as it sounds literally put inside a bear skin yes yeah uh as ingmar says goodbye to the community did you notice this that um when they zoom in on the house where the bear is being butchered to the side is ingmar and the whole community has lined up to like say their goodbyes to him oh no i didn't notice that that's cool um yeah it's it's disturbing actually yeah Um, so they say to christian as the bear most mighty and dreadful beast with you, we purge our most, most unholy affects. We banish you now to the deepest recesses where you may reflect on your wickedness. Are so they talking good. to the bear? Or are they talking to Christian is the question. I mean, both, really. Um, and nothing right. good is going to happen to either of them. Yep. Um, Ingemar and the random dude are given something from a yew tree that is supposed to take away their pain. We don't know what is going to cause them pain. However, in a minute, we find out what. And it doesn't work um this yeah. is a lie they lie to them and well give them something that tells well at least in my mind it's a yeah lie. in my head canon it's a lie too and it's been talked about um when people have dissected this movie i guess it's possible that you despite being able to hear screams that maybe they are still stupid and they can or they're convinced that it works like it's one of those things where it's like drink you know in like the people believe it because it's been happening for years and years and years and generations and they're just like yeah it's the yew tree it takes away all your pain and then they yeah. hear like they hear screams and they're like well i mean it doesn't take away all your pain but it takes away a lot of it that's but like in charitable... reality it probably is nothing yeah right but you're even giving them a more charitable read than i would because like your read is that it's tradition my read is that they know it doesn't work and they don't care well that's a, that's or my, rather that, the people administering it that's my it actual care. read too i'm just playing like devil's advocate i suppose like i right. i also agree that they are just like fucking sinister yeah yeah 
Um, so three hooded men come in. I love their hoods. It's not like a traditional hood. It's um, like a row of fringe of like over their eyes, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, but they come in and they set the barn ablaze with Christian in the middle of it as Danny watches from the outside. We should discuss what Danny is wearing. Why don't you talk about her dress? She is wearing like a giant, like big, wide, long, flowing dress made like a, entirely of flowers. flowers. Yeah, it's um, it's beautiful. But you see later when she tries to move in it, she's almost essentially a prisoner of it. Yeah, um, because of how kind of all consuming it is. Yeah, which maybe is a little symbolism. Oh, yeah. Um, so th- we get this again, this triumphant swelling music. Uh, again, like earlier in the film, there were these kind of discordant tones that were droned on. Here, it is very uh, obviously triumphant. Um, this triumphant swelling music begins playing as the people inside the yellow house burn. Um, when the men start screaming in pain, because again, this yew tree uh, solution does not actually reduce their pain, the Horgoth starts screaming with them, kind of sharing in this communal pain. Um, so they're all screaming, the barn is collapsing, the music swells, we get a cut over to Danny, and she has just this kind of euphoric, weird smile on her face. Um, again, yeah, as this like, music is swelling and swelling uh, before everything kind of fades to black. I, I can't stress this enough. Like her face acting is unbelievable. Like in this final scene, we see her face various times and it, it kind of like travels from almost ready to cry. Kind of delirious crying, then half catatonic, like a, a hint of like partial regret like you can see flavor, so many different flavors in her in her expression, and then like, but then relief, and then the final smile where her relief and or her fear kicks in, like, like a, oh shit, what have I done? Like, what have I got myself into? It's it's just like, and then the music like noticeably goes from like beautiful to a little beautiful to like sinister, not yeah, overtly, okay. but like it's yeah, clearly, just incredible, um, incredible ending. Yeah, and that's the end. So yeah. smash cut to black. So let's 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 talk about like the off-sided um fan theory that Pele had something to do with Danny's parents' death. Do you think sure. that he did? So the reason that people think this is because we did not mention it, but uh at the very beginning of the film in the Arter residence, the parents have a picture of Danny on their night table, and there is a crown of flowers around the picture. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is just foreshadowing. However, people on I the agree. internet have taken it to mean that actually Pele is the one who killed Danny's parents to get her to come to Sweden. People are nuts. People like think that like there's no way that any kind of like a, a normal house would have had hoses as long as the ones that her sister gets, and that like either her sister had to have gone and bought those hoses specifically or which like, is possible which is very possible not impossible. it's very possible i mean like pele is also like the only one of christian's friends not to say anything negative about danny when the group is out for drinks and like before her parents bodies are found the very first time you see them all but i i don't buy it i don't i don't think pele had anything it. to do no. with it i think he just kind of was like well this is a pretty nice surprise now i don't have to die but <laughs> If, well, if and you, again, if you that's, subscribe that's to my head cannon. Yeah, yeah, to my head cannon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that was like the main thing I wanted to bring up at the end of this movie. I mean, obviously, like the imagery kind of foreshadows all of this stuff happening, the bear, the stuff we mentioned along the way. Um, 
Yeah. Well, also too, uh, just to bring up Hereditary very briefly, but both of those films, um, actually now thinking about it, Bo is Afraid as well, all those films kind of end with like either the villain or the malevolent force like winning. Hmm. Right? Yeah. 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 Just something to know. Just thinking yeah. about it off the top. True. Yeah. True. Um, should we circle back on uh on our mural that we talked about at the beginning? Sure. It, it makes more sense in context now. Sure. Um, so if you look at the mural from left to right, again, we said at the far left, there's that skull that's kind of spitting uh, snow. And so that's obviously the death of Danny's parents and her sister. Um, the mural goes from left to right. And so we get, you know, her grief with Pele overseeing them traveling to the Horagas community, them entering, them seeing the Adashtupa ceremony. I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. And then right. finishing with the May Queen celebration right yeah so if you know all those things are coming and you look back at this mural the kind of it gives you the whole movie in one image sort yeah. of minus it, the grizzly deaths it's a fun movie to watch knowing what's going to happen to rewatch yes. i mean 100 yeah. percent. yeah well that's um, one thing that works about the movie for me rewatch yeah why don't we why don't we jump into that yeah like in addition to rewatchability i mean the, the tone is great the acting is fantastic I, I love the camera work it's like all dolly shots there's no like handheld i actually think that works really really well for this there if like a dot like a handheld stuff could have come off a little more like documentary style and i actually think that that would have been not as good no um, i agree yeah the tension building is is really great um i the kind of like terrifyingly disarming nature of juxtaposing violence and horror imagery against the bright sunny you know setting and the color scheme of the movie it's just really well done it's a it's a it's a very very well done movie yeah yeah i'm gonna echo all those things um and in terms of what doesn't work um i i it's not even it's such a small nitpick yeah i guess what doesn't work would be like some of these unanswered questions we've been talking about but I think the movie wisely doesn't answer a lot of them because it leaves it open to your interpretation. Yeah. For example, the idea of like, okay, if they do this only once every 90 years, how do they know how to butcher a bear? And why are they teaching children how to butcher a bear? Right. Well, obviously Someone had can, to have done it before. Yes. You can extrapolate from there that like, oh, okay, clearly like they do this more than they're letting on. Um, so there's enough in the movie, like enough breadcrumbs, I feel like. Actually that's a good point. I, I I was under the impression that like they regular regularly bring people there and they kill them. They use them to impregnate them, you know, other members and, and they, you know, whatever. And I was under the impression that like the yellow barn stuff, like the, the sacrifices, the burning, the bear suit stuff is not is every 90 years, but you're right. It must, it, it must be doing it more often. Yeah. Like I, I believe part of that is every 90 years, but I believe like, why are they teaching the kids how to butcher a bear and make a bear suit if they're not right. going to eventually do it? Like if the, if it was in 90 years, they wouldn't have to worry about that. Right. Um, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but overall, like, listen, it's not as good as hereditary, but hereditary is like an a plus. So I, yeah. this is like an a it's phenomenal. I, I agree. A, a plus a situation. And yeah, my only nitpick really is that it, I just don't think it has enough pure and stereotypical horror as hereditary does. But that I think that ne doesn't necessarily belong in this movie, I suppose. Yeah, again, I'm like, not saying I, I want it in it, but it's just it's just I knock it a tiny bit because it's just not my horror preference. I will say um, I rented this off Amazon to watch it. And um, one of the Amazon tags for this film was science fiction. 
I don't think it's a science no, fiction film. Not in the slightest. No. Um, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Um, how would we do this game or this movie as a video game, rather? So I I'm actually pretty happy with mine. I I was struggling at first, and then it just kind of came to me in a Eureka moment. So PC, I'm gonna go with PC, and I'm gonna go late 90s era first person. So not like, and it, this could kind of work as a point and click, but I think it's better if like a f- first person, like low poly environment type thing. I, this is like a survival stealth horror game. It's so it's mainly a mystery game where you are kind of gathering clues as to what's going on. And it's really like the, what's going on means like what your fate's going to be. And you have, it's kind of like time-based. There's a day night system, but night doesn't last very long. So you have to kind of clearly plan what you're going to do with your nighttime and you and really you have to be like investigating various buildings, talking to various members of the commune to kind of gain insight as to what they might be up to. And like when people aren't around, like for instance, like like I said about go at night, like you might, you know, the church or something. You want to get in the church, you try to go there in the day, and there's people coming in and out, and there's somebody in there. So you gotta switch to nights so that like wait till nighttime, and you gotta sneak in there and get what you need and get out and do other nighttime things before it's too late. And as time goes on. If you take too long, your friends will start to die. And then if all your friends die, you lose. Except I guess like if Christian dies, that's kind of a win. Then you win. (laughs) That's, that's where, that's where it started to become a little bit harder for me. Um, No, that's very well thought out. I like that quite a bit. I, um, I just went the lazy route and I thought of like an animal crossing alike, but instead of like, (laughs) I love it. Animal villagers, they would be the Horgas. I was like ready for you to be like a, a music rhythm game. <laughs> oh my god, I would love that! Like to the rhythm of like the screams of sacrifices. <laughs> I don't think I would love that, but um, yeah. no, I like I like uh, I like uh, Animal Crossing alike. Right? Um, would we want to live in this world? No. I mean, for all intents and purposes, we may. No, we don't. We don't know. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, but no. But no, no, absolutely not. No. no. Um, what I really, really, really like, because I feel like a lesser director would have done this, is there's no real evidence or guarantee that any of the beliefs the Horgas have are based in any kind of reality. They're equally as silly as any other religious beliefs across the board, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think a lesser director would have hinted at, like, maybe they do worship, like, a secret great old one or something. Yeah. And yeah. that would have been really stupid. I yeah. think it makes it even scarier if they're killing these people for essentially things that are made up. Yeah. yeah. I agree. Because yeah. great ones are real. Well, yeah. I mean, my old cat was one for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, How yeah. would we fit in? Would we, like, would we get roped in, do you think? Or are we too smart for this? I'm too smart for this. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, there are a lot of horror movie situations where I'm a dead man, but I, I, I wouldn't, I would have gotten out of there. Yeah, I would have, I, yeah. I wouldn't have ended up there in the first place. No, 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 not my cup of tea. Um, how about fan fiction corner? Because we have like, I have one that's, that's a real OG from fan fiction corner. Oh, really? Oh, and, yeah. wait, so in a good way, in a good way. So I, I'll, I'll say like my fan. Fi- oh my god, I already forgot what my fan fiction was. We said it earlier. It, we we hit it like, oh man, I'm blanking. I'm completely blanking. But I'll tell you what my fan fiction was going to be because I yes, tried to come please. up with my fan fiction first, and then I kept finding fan fiction that was my fan fiction. So I kept having to <laughs> change it. So the first one was the night after, just like what happens next. Yeah. Yep. Uh, 
when the one I found is Danny has sex with Pele and there's a lot of Danny and Pele shipping. Yeah. Didn't yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, that's not what I want my fan fiction of the night after to be or like the next day. Um, but then the other is what happens after Inga leads Mark away from the table. Uh, but that fan fiction exists as well. Right. And what happens is she gets impregnated by him and then he's killed from behind with an ice pick. That makes sense. And then, you know, skinned. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's my fan. Right, well, I guess that's the fan fiction I found. Uh, what did you find? I have the OG Titan of fan fiction. Um, wow. The crossover of Hereditary and Midsummer. Oh, someone now, did it. Now, we, did we already, find this when we did this before. We did. We absolutely I found this already, but I feel like it's worth reading again because it's so good and so ridiculous. Okay. All right. It's like it's a paragraph, so buckle up. Yeah. Danny Arter has been lost and found after faithfully or fatefully joining the Hargus community in Sweden with Pele. Danny finds she is not the same woman she used to be. <laughs> Torn between her mixed feelings for Pele and her guilt over Christian's death. She must return to America during winter solstice with the other May Queens one last time to discover the whereabouts of an ancient cult the elders believe have finally found a host for one of the eight kings of hell, Pymen. <laughs> when she arrives in the lush greenery of Utah, however, the May Queens investigate the fateful demise of the cursed Graham family. And when she meets Pymen herself, Danny must quickly piece together what happened to Peter Graham to bring him back to Sweden. She does not <laughs> expect to discover that Pymen is, in fact, Peter Graham himself a broken young man who has experienced traumatized horrors of the past of the cult that's controlled him. As she and Peter grow closer together and begin to discover the truth of fate's purpose and putting them together, Danny must make a, the ultimate choice between fighting for the only family she has left or fighting for control of a life that might join another. <laughs> Do you I mean, want to know what this, this is called? What is it called? Solstice. Yeah, love it. I mean, th- this this fan fiction is it it is an OG, but it assumes that it assumes that Danny accepts uh, what happens to her with open arms. It doesn't. I mean, yeah, it doesn't make any sense with how I think Danny would actually react. Like she would never do this with the May Queens. Just can you imagine? Like we gotta get the, we we gotta like send the team out and we like our best <laughs> our best women and it's just like a bunch of May queens on a plane <laughs> yes. they like land in wherever hereditary takes place they Utah. all get off the oh right Utah yeah um yeah I love that I love that as a fan fiction and I love her and Peter teaming up and will they bring the fight back to the Horgas I don't know you'll have to read and find out there's probably like that's that's the trilogy ender it's okay, like it's so like the middle is called solstice what's the last one called like eclipse yeah but and it's <laughs> and it's like the horgas like danny brings like peter back and but he's like and pyman like gets out and then there's like this pyman like she's just jumping from horgas member to horgas member and killing people listen start writing these ideas down so we can send them to Arias. <laughs> uh, um do you have any fan fiction that you would want I, we said it earlier. The the one I'm an idiot. And I didn't write it. What I eventually landed on, I didn't write it down. But you would, and I was like, I'll remember it at the end. And you said it earlier, like you you were touching on something earlier, and it clicked. And I'm like, that is that's my fan fiction, and now I can't remember it. So I don't remember either. No worries. Somebody will. If you're listening, you've heard me say what it is earlier in this episode. I'm not gonna. I can't go back and find out what it is. So. Sorry, I will say uh, this definitely warrants fan fiction. Like I, there is creative juices to be mined from the Horgas and their crazy rituals. So, oh, you know I, what? I've I, got one. Okay, yeah. Um, 
All right. It's Sonic. <laughs> okay, here we go. But it's but, it, but it's not like a story. This is a video game fan fiction. It's Sonic like going through quote Green Hill Zone, but it's not. It's basically just like he's going around, and in the background, you suddenly realize that like there's like the cliffs that were like jumped off of. He's like running through like beautiful green fields, and he starts like running past like the Horgus communities. <laughs> oh God! It's basically just like a Sonic level, but it's like very subtly uh, the Horgus community. Or not so subtly. Or not so subtly. Yeah, and there's like some dead bodies uh, smashed at the foot of the cliff. And Sonic's like, ooh, gotta go fast. <laughs> That's what he does. <laughs> yeah. Ah, uh, um, yeah. My fan fiction, I, I love the F, they're not FBI, the X Files team up of, um, you know, uh, what's his face from Peter from Hereditary and Danny yeah. from Midsummer teaming up, traveling the world to solve supernatural cases. What about the Grinch? Would the Grinch contribute anything to that team up? Um, the Grinch would have sex with both of them and what? would really drive a wedge in their relationship. What about the Grinch makes you think he would do that? <laughs> Just the drama of it. I can't even... <laughs> He loves drama. That's yeah. true. <laughs> Why would he do that? <laughs> he just lives for the drama. It's like making me like almost like uncomfortable to be thinking about. It's like, or it's like blasphemy to be think talking about the Grinch having sex. You don't think the Grinch could seduce Christian? <laughs> uh, no, I don't. I mean, unless he was like promising Christian like the Christmas present of not having to have Danny in his life anymore. And maybe he was. Maybe he was yeah <laughs> uh, oh boy well that was midsummer i sure am, was um, i am thrilled that we did this because it's a great movie but also it's a really cool touch point for our podcast to like kind of come back and do Esther's second big movie. yeah and we've got uh more spoopiness for you guys the this this month absolutely yeah yeah what have you been um, up to lately i haven't been up to a lot um not i've been Without announcing it on the podcast, I have certain life changes that may be happening. So I've been doing a lot mm. with that. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully next week I can make some announcements as to what those things might be. Okay. Um, but in terms of spoopy season, I have been continuing to read Goosebumps Horrorland, ah. uh, the books. I now am reading Scream of the Haunted Mask. Um, and uh, R.L. Stein, you know, I feel like he needed a break of 20 years because they're they're kind of He's kind of writing some bangers now. I'm into oh, it. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm eagerly looking forward to uh, my beloved Sonic, Sonic Superstars, that's coming out later this month. Hmm. Um, and uh, I know nothing about it except that Mario becomes an elephant, but I'm looking forward to Super Mario Wonder also coming out. Soon. Those are two games that I will probably only check out if enough people tell me to, because I'm just not super excited about 2D Mario, and Sonic has just failed me too many times. I don't blame you. I will check both of those out and let you know. Please do. Thank you. What have you been up to? I am in the middle of watching Castlevania Nocturne. The I heard it was quite good. I, I'm enjoying it. Uh, I think that it is not going to end up being as good as like most of the seasons of the first Castlevania show, but this is very much like an intro season. It's it's clearly setting up for bigger things. And so I'm not. it's too early to judge it. But I, I mean, the first Castlevania show is it sets a very high bar. Yeah. Um. That got me wanting to play Castlevania 2. So I, I started ripping into the Castlevania collection. I, I played the original Castlevania a couple months ago or a month ago. 
Um, and I'm like mo- almost done with Castlevania two Simon's quest. I'm using save states. It is an easier game than the other one that said, I still am using save states because why not? Well, yeah, I mean, they're there. Yeah, they're there. Um, I've been casually dipping in and out of Xenoblade Chronicles. It is not a comment on the quality of the game. I think I am just kind of bouncing off of JRPGs. I might have burned myself out <laughs> over the summer, given all the JRPGs I was playing. Um, I like I liked the game quite a bit. It is good. Um, I don't know when I'm going to actually pick it up and just like binge the next part of the game. I think I'm on chapter eight, and I think I read there are like 17 chapters. Something so, like that, yeah. Almost halfway. Um, um, I should mention that, speaking of JRPGs, um, that I have been playing Final Fantasy VI. I, oh, um, I noticed that, yeah. Um, replaying it, and I'm having a blast. It's and a, so great. I'm noticing so much more than I ever did before how seven is really a step up from six. Like seven gets viewed as kind of its own beast uh, very frequently. Mm-hmm. But I feel like if you play six, the DNA of seven is in six 100%. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Uh, what else? I um, watched uh, the first Naked Gun movie, which is hilarious. Oh, my God. I love those movies. Some so, of my favorite comedies of all time. I need to tell you something. I, I don't. I think that Naked Gun is funnier than Airplane. I agree. I think it. I'm, I, I'm, I'm so I glad. 100 percent agree with you. And it's because airplane is just like all over the place. Like the jokes are just coming at you constantly, but they're all different sources. Whereas, like, I love that Leslie Nielsen is like the joke, with the exception of some like great jokes at OJ Simpson's expense. Like Leslie Nielsen is like on screen almost all the time, and he's hilarious. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah. So Miranda and I are gonna. I, I've never seen the second one. I've seen the first and the third, but never the second. The second one is pretty good. I would say the first one is definitely the strongest. I would say the third one is the weakest. Two is good. You'll you'll have fun with two. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and then I was recently on uh, Matt and Colin and Tierney's podcast, another film podcast, uh, talking about Before Sunset, uh, one of my favorite movies of all time. And after that, I rewatched Before Midnight, which in its own way is a horror movie, uh, even though it's not not actually. Um, those, those movies are fantastic and I haven't watched it yet, but I plan to rewatch the movie cure tonight, the Japanese movie, uh, Japanese horror movie. It is excellent. Okay. Excellent. Should you do our usual sign off? Uh, yeah. Um, uh, stop touching yourself, John Malkovich.